Mr. Pop. Dark. When the little birds are nesting, and I listen to them too, there's two lonesome people in the whole wide world. That's me and the man in the moon. Hello, and welcome to Miskatonic University Radio, a podcast exploring Fantasy Flight Games' Arkham Horror the Card Game. I'm Dane. I'm Dan. And I'm Ben. And today, we have a very special guest on. Please welcome the five-time FFG LCG World Champion, the Sith Lord of Star Wars Destiny, the Keeper of Nightmares, the untrashable architect and now developer of Arkham Horror the Card Game, Jeremy Zwern. Hello. <laughs> Jeremy, it's great to have you here. How's it going? Great. I love those those titles. Those that sounds pretty good. <laughs> You're an accomplished guy. Uh, the the keeper's nightmare part is especially fun for us because uh, it wasn't too long ago that um we got to play keeper's nightmare with you and uh, we got completely wrecked. But it was it was a good time. <laughs> yeah, that was definitely a great time. It was great meeting you guys there, and it's of course a very fun scenario that we had just come up with. So it was a bit rough, but as long as you guys had fun, I we Matt and I had fun as well. So. Maybe we can play again in the future sometime. The part that really sticks in my mind is when uh, I remember playing a, a monster slayer to try to beat some big monster that we were dealing with. This was like fairly late in the game when we were already in kind of rough shape. But I was like, oh, well, at least maybe if I clear this monster, we can kind of turn things around and kind of recover a little bit. And uh, you had a trap card that just like made the next test immediately fail. <laughs> yep. Uh, <laughs> I definitely remember that, too. And uh, I mean, the game went on for a while, but at least for me, emotionally, that was when it was like, oh, man, we're, we're, we're boned. We're not, get, we're not getting out of this one. Yeah, sorry about that. No, it was, it was all good. You know, that's the Arkham Horror experience that we're all looking for, <laughs> I think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. So, Jeremy, just kind of as a preliminary uh, introduction here, we wanted to maybe ask, for those who might not know who Jeremy is, could you maybe introduce yourself? How did you get into Arkham Horror as being a developer, and what is your gaming background? Well, I got into card games way back in 1994 with Magic the Gathering. So, yeah, I'm a kind of old fart here. <laughs> I was mostly a casual player for many, many years. I you was know, just kind of just a kid and just enjoying the game kind of mind-blown by this whole concept of a, a collectible card game. I've been playing collecting sports cards for many years, so it's kind of a natural progression to go into Magic and still do the collecting, but also have this whole another layer here, a game to explore and learn. And So eventually I started getting more and more competitive, like more of my college years. I got some buddies together, we started doing some terms here or there, and I kind of just kicked off from there, trying to, you know, just compete and become the best. And hone my skills and learn more and more about the game. And I played Magic for many, many years. Eventually I kind of got a little burnt out after playing for many, many years. I was kind of a snob for a little while there. I just played Magic. There's all these other card <laughs> games coming out. Uh, yes. A lot of great, cool ones, but I kind of just like, nah, I'll just stick to Magic. And then eventually I kind of got in some board games, also during college, you know, kind of the, the gateway games, you know, Settlers of Catan and Carcassonne. And they kind of sent me off in a different direction for a while. kind of Put you know Magic on the back burner for a little while, and got into more like Puerto Rico and Kalis, more Euro games, and started having lots of fun with those. And then eventually, FFG opened up a game store here. Um, uh, luckily, I live fairly close by, so it's kind of natural to start heading down there to play board games. And before you know it, I kind of saw these LCGs being played there. Like those are cool, but I'm kind of a all or nothing type of guy. Like. I can't just dabble in something. I'll just go ahead. <laughs> if I get into it, I'll go just head first and want to collect right, everything right. and learn the game and you know try to discover the game and see what it's like. So I kind of held off LCGs for a while. I'm like, no, that's maybe a bit too much. I I was you know playing Magic for many years and know what that's all about and how much money and you just, the time sink this time sink it takes to play a game like that. At least you know I should try to do really well with it and compete. So I was kind of Pushed them off for a while, but eventually my buddies got into LCGs, uh, particularly Netrunner. When that first came out, they, everybody seemed to love that at the game store. They kind of quit playing board games, and everyone started playing Netrunner. Oh, man. <laughs> the hype. So, yeah, eventually it was like, I kind of felt like I just had to. Like, nobody wants to play board games right now, so, yeah, I guess I'll try this Netrunner game. And I had played the CCG version way back a couple times, but it was so different from Magic, I just couldn't grasp my head around it, so I kind of passed on it. But once LCG came out, it's like everyone was doing it, so I kind of felt like 
don't really have much other choice, so let's let's go ahead and do it. And <laughs> luckily, you know, things worked out well. I really enjoy the game. It's truly an amazing, one of the best games ever. So I kind of set me on the LCG path, and I kind of want to learn more about the other ones as well. So I got into Warhammer Invasion very early as well, and I was very popular at our local store. And eventually, I started going on to other games as well. There, uh, there's a Call of Cthulhu LCG. That was probably my third one I think I got into. That was kind of my introduction to H.P. Lovecraft. I hadn't really read his stories before that. I was, I was kind of a little weird and out there, so just kind of <laughs> stuck to other things, like you know, Lord of the Rings and Star Wars, stuff like that. And then one of my buddies really encouraged me to try reading some of his stories. He actually had an H.P. Lovecraft book and lent it to me, so I'm like, oh, sure, I'll try it. And, you know, at first, it was kind of like, wow, this is kind of weird, and some of his stories are a bit hit or miss. But eventually, I started, you know, find some stories that we started connecting with, and before I know it, I went out and sought all of his stories and read all of them, and really started getting into the whole Lovecraft feel. So that kind of also helped because eventually, and I think 20, about five years ago, I, in the meantime, I started becoming a playtester for FHE since I lived so close by. It was kind of made sense. They do local playtests sure. for some of the games, so I got to know a lot of people working at the company, especially the card game designers. So it's always a nice little in route there for becoming a, play, a local player tester, especially. You get to know people in the company that way. So then they met. One day mentioned, you know, I got a new game. He's designed him and Nate French, new LCG. I'm like, oh boy, it's always one of the finest things, a new game. What is it? <laughs> so they invited me to start testing Arkham Horror at the LCG. I'm like, all right, that's that's cool. I was, I was a huge fan of Call of Cthulhu, so I was kind of bummer to... I kind of had an idea that the game was coming to end. But knowing Arkham Horror was kind of getting bored because of through the ashes of Call of Cthulhu in a way. Hmm. It made it a lot, a lot easier. So yeah, right off the bat, I started playing, playtesting the course of Arkham way back in the day there. I'd also played Lord of the Rings before that, so I kind of migrated over into the co-op games. I'd been so into the com- competitive games for so long, it's kind of refreshing in a way to go to a co-op game and very different. So yeah, I was involved with Arkham Horror ever since you know the course I started getting playtesting. I've been playtesting ever since, and Eventually, uh, a position opened up in the LCG department for a card game developer, so it's always been kind of one of my dreams to maybe be able to you know, work on a card game like that, be, become a designer, so it was tough giving up the competitive lifestyle, you know, I had a lot of success with that, and <laughs> really enjoyed it, and becoming an LCG designer, you can't compete any longer in the higher level tournaments, so it was a tough decision, but eventually it was like, yeah, it's be kind of a, a fun and different challenge to be a designer on a, a card game that I really love, so I went for it, applied, and things worked out, and before you know it, I was working on Star Wars Destiny, and had a lot of fun with that game, a lot of great memories, a lot of good times, and became the lead designer of that game for, I don't know, about three years or so, but, you know, unfortunately, things come to an end eventually, so that recently came to a conclusion for creating new products, so it's kind of like, a, you know, a real bummer to really, really enjoy a game so much, and your job, and I was, you know, full-time on Destiny for so many years, and really got into the game to suddenly have to shift gears and move on to something else, so mm. to me, kind of, how the games we had left, it, I don't know, it felt really natural just to go into Arkham Horror, and I've known Matt for a good eight years now, and always got along really well, and love the game, so I thought it was, you know, I thought it was kind of a new challenge to, to go from a com- competitive game onto a co-op game is definitely a whole new experience, a whole new challenge, so I was up for that, and so far it's been awesome, a lot of fun. So, very grateful to have this opportunity. That's awesome, yeah, yeah. yeah. RIP Star Wars Destiny. That's you know, like like you said, it had a had a pretty good run for a few years for sure. It definitely did. It was very popular. So, oh yeah, yeah. I I have to ask just really quick: during your hardcore Magic years, did you have like a big deck that you brought to tournaments and stuff, and uh, did really well with? Um, I did play lots of different things, but. I guess one deck that really stands out, I enjoyed the Legacy game, kind of the big open format. Back in the day, this was probably, I think, 2004, they had a deck called Solidarity. It was just <laughs> yeah. a, a, a mono blue deck. Basic islands, instant blue spells, that's it. Nothing else. <laughs> All you do is try to mill your opponent, so it's just very different and weird to have a deck like that. Just basic islands and instants, that's it. Nothing else. Sounds like sounds extremely fun. Sounds like a great time, uh, especially mirror match. Uh, Imagine that. <laughs> oh, that's very very Magic the Gathering. Oh yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you mentioned uh, you mentioned kind of the transition from uh, from competitive games to, to to cooperative games. 
this is something that uh because magic is 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 a very popular game and we often meet people who've played it if you're trying to like pitch uh arkham horror to people that are maybe more familiar with you know competitive games like magic or netrunner or something how would you kind of like sell it to them like would you you know how would you kind of get them to like buy into like oh you could still have fun with like a, a cooperative game instead yeah to me the biggest thing is instead of playing against each other which can be at times you know Somebody has to lose when you're playing competitive games against each other, and, you know, some people don't take it as well. At times, I was kind of like that, you know, take some hard losses sometimes, you know, I don't know, every now and then get a little salty or something, and it kind of sucks. Happens to the best of us. Right, you know, you lose, especially, <laughs> you know, sometimes you just have a really bad game and it just gets to you, and it's like, ah, oh, it's so frustrating. But for co-op games, you're in it together. Everybody either wins or loses together. You're, you're a team. You don't have to get mad at each other, you know, unless somebody's, like, a, taking the whole team down, you know, a silent suddenly appears, but... That all depends on who you play with. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's really cool just to, in a way, take the pressure off. That's one thing about playing competitive games at a high level. It seems to be a lot of pressure. The more and more you play, there's expectations are set. Definitely. Like for a while, I started going to tournaments after I've been doing a while. Like everybody expected me to win like every tournament I played in. Like that's just, that's not possible. It's way too high of expectations, but people kind of thought that. So if I didn't do well, they all wonder like, what happened? What's, what's going on? And, but in co-op games, you don't have to worry about that. You just sit down and just, you know, have a beer and just have some fun together and take all that pressure off. And, and yeah, it's still nice to win, but it's not as big a deal. There's nothing, like, tangible on the line, usually. Like, in tournaments, you usually have to pay an entry fee. Right, right. There's right. Prize, prizes on the line. Sometimes they're really big, important prizes. You really want to win. But in co-op yeah. games, it's just, just I'm more about just, just having fun. Like, who cares? There's nothing major like that on the line. You just, it's a whole different experience that, to me, is really enjoyable. Yeah, I think it kind of creates a good environment because you've got people coming from competitive card games like yourself, but also you've got people coming from a different field like RPGs like D&D or like, you know, Call of Cthulhu. So people who are more into like the role-playing aspect of it. Everybody can kind of come in and and link hands and and fight against the mythos. And I think that that's awesome that that there's so many pe- different people that come from different places. Yeah, definitely. I've never played RPGs in my life, but this is this is very similar. I've been told, you know, it's, the story element's a very important aspect, and people can really get attached to it. And yeah, it's just it is a lot of fun. So I'm really enjoying being a part of the whole Arkham universe here. And... Yeah. So Jeremy, one thing we're we're curious about is, um, can you give us just kind of like a rough sketch of how the design process goes for like a new player card or a new scenario? Like, it starts maybe some kind of like brainstorming, or like someone has an idea and it goes through like a bunch of stages, and eventually it gets printed. What is that process like? Uh, it really depends, you know, on the scenario or card. There's a lot of different ways to tackle a scenario. I don't have too much experience firsthand yet, but I've definitely been learning. Uh, sometimes you just start with, like, the story. That's a very crucial part of Arkham Horror. So sometimes for a scenario, we have a kind of story at a time where we want to happen. So we try to uh, craft a scenario around that just feels right and just thematic and kind of delivers uh, the experience you want for the story. Other times, you don't have the story quite hammered out yet. There's a very broad feel for it. So that lets us maybe focus on a mechanical aspect we want to try. Like if we have this maybe cool new idea that doesn't really have anything linked to the story yet, but it just sounds fun and exciting, we might just go that route, try come up with some cards and idea, and see if this mechanic has any legs and where that takes us. If there's some promise there, we can try to craft a story around that sometimes. So it really depends on the scenario, but... It's a lot of fun to have those different options. Cause there's... For Weaver of the Cosmos, see if it has eight legs. Right? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> hey. Yeah, sometimes there's there's that, and we don't want a, like a big boss enemy, so what should this boss enemy look like? Sometimes you think, you know, should it be uh, an ancient one or something else? You know, we have a lot of different options to kind of go down the road and choose from. So yeah, a lot of scenarios will sometimes have something like that, where this has to be a big boss enemy, so... That's kind of the main focus and how do we kind of represent that and do something different from previous scenarios. That's one of the biggest challenges now, too, is trying to keep things fresh and different. There's, mm-hmm. there's been so many scenarios in the game already and so many just really cool, awesome ones. And There's always more design space to try to find, but it does get, to me, a little bit harder and harder over time since you got to keep digging deeper and deeper and try to find something else that is new and different and exciting and fun. Yeah, it, on on that topic, like, 
as the card pool expands, it's like so many times bigger than what it was in the original core set at this point. Does it get hard to kind of keep track of all the possible interactions between cards? Like this player card could break this scenario that we're playtesting or like these two player cards, the rules are really weird the way they interact. Is it like hard to keep track of all that stuff? Yeah, it definitely does get harder. Because with the core set alone, there's so few cards, but we've it's four years on now and the card pool has gotten quite a bit bigger since then. <laughs> Not quite yeah. as big as competitive games. There's one difference, you know. There's only so many player cards per pack and stuff, but that is definitely always a concern. It does get tougher and tougher since every new card opens up potentially a lot more interactions and potentially, you know, too powerful or not fun interactions or other things like that. And each investor usually has their own deck building, you know, restrictions. And sometimes you might overlook some of those, like, well, this card can't really belong to this investigator, but... In the future, you might come up with new events here that allows us, like these two cards, to be played together. Currently, they're not. But in the future, there might be. So, there's a lot of trying to trying to future-proof stuff, but that's very difficult as well. I think it's even more difficult trying to think ahead, like what kind of future cards might come along that could be problematic with these current cards, and especially new investigators, since those can open up lots of brand new possibilities that currently aren't in the game. Is um yeah you mentioned you know cards that might be you know too too strong or not strong enough or something. How do you judge that? Like how do you look at a card and say like well you know this is clearly a good card but it doesn't quite hit the level of what we'd consider to be too strong or like this card is very limited in its usefulness maybe it's like too limited. How do you kind of make those sorts of decisions and judgments? Um, it's hard to say. You know, a lot of times it just kind of comes down to specific cards and. A lot of comparing to previous cards, now we do have a big card pool that does become easier in some ways and have a lot of examples to draw off of and try to see where things might be pushed too far, where things could still be pushed further. There's, I think playtesting is the biggest thing, just try to get first-hand experience. That's a very, very important thing, just to play from play with the cards yourself and see how things feel, or at least play with other people that are playing the cards. One thing that's difficult, since it can take a lot of time, you know, playing games, especially so many different scenarios. Some cards might be fine in certain scenarios, but not in other scenarios. Right. I guess one of the biggest things I've seen during my Switch from competitive co-op games, it's, it does take, just like competitive games, a lot of playtesting to try to figure out, you know, where boundaries are. And Sometimes it's really hard to say. It, it can be kind of subjective. Like, this this feels okay, so let's, you know, let's print it. And then sometimes other players with, you know, tens of thousands of players in the world, they'll get their hands on the cards and Maybe find something that we didn't see, or maybe we just realized, yeah, maybe maybe it was a bit stronger than we thought. And it's you know that's one of the exciting things about playing games. You, just, you never know. You see these brand new cards, and it's kind of fun to. Uh, that's one of the things I love playing in competitive games. I always trying to break cards. Right, like, right. That's that's the whole spirit of of the competitive part of it, right? Yeah, definitely. So we kind of kind of want cards out there that look busted and amazing. Hopefully they're not. But if you don't <laughs> push them, then the game might get a little boring and too predictable. Yeah, like when you were on the um, AMA with Matt on uh, in February, you guys were talking about, or at least Matt was talking about how he he was surprised to see drawing thin on on a card that was kind of under the radar, but everybody realized this card's ridiculous. Yeah, there's definitely one. I don't remember playtesting that one too much. I was kind of focused on other things, but yeah, I think some testers are like, yeah, this could be quite strong, but unless you play with it yourself and see how it is, sometimes you might not realize that until you know. You see, you see the real world play with it, and many, many people saying this card is amazing. This is why. So yeah, sometimes some you know cards will kind of slip through, and eventually you know we do have some tools to address that if, if need be. You know. Yeah, one one of those being the the taboo list. That's actually one thing that we were we wanted to ask about. So I think I think Matt mentioned that there's a taboo list update that's coming after the final pack of Dream Eaters uh, finally is released. Can you give us any kind of hints or anything about, you know, what type of cards we might expect to see adjusted up or down on the on the taboo list or anything that we might see? Honestly, we haven't talked about too much, Matt and I, about that, so we'll definitely have to sit down and kind of go over some things, but I mean, I definitely have my own candidates, my own opinions, I'm sure he does as well, so <laughs> we'll, we'll see, but nothing... We'll be careful not to make any suggestions to bias you one way or the other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um... Well, there's certain cards you really don't like, but... Uh, definitely ban let god sort them out that's uh that's a card that, um, <laughs> has, has, has it, one of it's made one of my friends uh play extremely recklessly and uh really disregard uh, a lot of important information in the quest for more xp at all costs so if you could if you could add that to the ban list i'd, I'd really consider it a personal favor uh, sure done 
<laughs> so, I, yeah, you, you mentioned that um, most of the stuff that you've been working on designing is, is yet to be released just because of the kind of de- development turnaround. But uh, is there anything of the stuff that's been announced for the upcoming, uh, you know, investigator decks and stuff that we've seen that you had a hand in that you think is especially cool that we should look forward to? Oh, uh, yeah, because the investigator star decks, that's kind of my first thing I really started being mostly involved with Archimon. I kind of kind of took the lead on the Nathaniel and Harvey ones. Since I love Guardian Seekers, so it's kind of fun to take my crack at those. There were, I think, a few cards every now and then earlier before that that might have gotten printed that I just every now and then threw an idea out. Hey, I do remember, I believe, Paydays one day. For a while, I was playing Road Dice. I'd take, I'd get lots of actions in a single turn. It's a lot of fun trying to see how many actions I get in one single turn. <laughs> so I told Matt, hey, it'd be cool if there's a card that kind of reward you for doing that or incentivize you for playing lots of actions in a single turn. Ah, okay. So I'm like, I'm playing a rogue deck, so that kind of feels natural. That's their thing to take lots of actions. So maybe something just even as simple as just getting, getting a resource for each action you took. It's like, yeah, that would be kind of cool. So that's kind of the main way Payday came about. It's just kind of, every now and then, just got to throw an idea. And if he likes it, there you go. It's in the game. And nice. I think they did, you did make that level one. It was, you know, oftentimes you start with just like a level zero card just to get played, see how it goes. And, and then there's also the end your turn thing was tacked on, so you can play, you know, two in the same turn and get a million dollars. Because for a while there, I was getting like 15 or 20 actions in a single turn, was, you know, ace in a hole and double double and stuff like that. Oh man! <laughs> so oh, yeah. When it happened, it was amazing, but you know, it's, it takes a lot of setup. And, or the, uh, I mean, for a while there was the, yeah, it has to end the turn because there, there's that like infinite actions all in combo that uh, that people play sometimes. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's been many other infinite <laughs> combos that you know stumble upon every now and then, and. If it's during playtesting, it's to me, I've time to fix it, but once it goes to print, it's like, well, you know, kind of taboos and stuff like that I've got to rely on, or I just hope people yeah, get kind of yeah, bored. Yeah. Like, it's fun to discover stuff like that, but it does get kind of boring if you keep playing stuff like that and just trounce the scenarios over and over, so. Yeah, yeah. You, uh, yeah, let, let's talk more about the new investigator decks that have, have been announced recently. Those are really exciting. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how, how did the idea for these come about and, and what, what's like the primary goal? And cause this is a totally new product that hasn't been done before for this game. Yep. Uh, I believe our former head of studio, Andrew Navarro, kind of was a progenitor for this. I remember for the longest time we had kind of a different philosophy, I guess, from, I don't know, maybe Christian Peterson, where, for LCGs, just wanted the core set for the intro for new players to get in the game. Just one single product to get. That's it. Once you get the new product, you can move on to expansions. But with, I think with Andrew, you kind of thought, you know, there's, there should be maybe an alternative than just a core set. You see lots of games having, you know, starter decks or pre-con decks that make it very easy to try the game. You just buy a deck, there you go. So yeah, a lot of new players maybe struggle with deck building, or some just don't like it at all. They just, they just want to play and not spend all the time building decks. So then he kind of pushed the idea of doing this, not just for, like, Arkham, for lots of our LCGs. I remember we had the, I think the first ones we did were the Game of Thrones starter decks, mm-hmm. the intro packs, about, I don't know, a year and a half ago or so. And then we had Marvel upcoming. So everything kind of changed with Marvel, trying to decide how to create good entry points for that game. So I believe he was kind of, kind of the progenitor of how to maybe do something different instead of doing a scenario with player cards in every single pack. Try doing a pack that's just a deck, a playable deck right out of the bat, which was a great idea. That's something a lot of us kind of want to do all along, but now we kind of had a green light to explore, kind of doing ideas like this, so it kind of seemed natural to, you know, how how that looked doing Arkham with starter decks. So it was kind of cool to have kind of green light given, uh, all right, come up with what you think would be a cool idea. So definitely Arkham is its own kind of beast, so... Instead of just having like a level zero deck that you start with, it'd be kind of cool to have a pack that also included upgrades with it to get you through the entire campaign. Like, make it truly a, a one-by purchase if you want. On top, I guess, of course, that technically you get, you know, tokens and stuff like that and some scenarios. Mm-hmm. But it was really cool to kind of have the opportunity to do something like this for Arkham since, yeah, there, is a, there are a lot of players out there that don't really like deck building, find it very intimidating. So right, right. having a product that can really, you know, give players a chance to dip their toe in the game, see if they like it or not, and with a minimal cost, I think it's going to be great for the game. On top of that, they're great for experienced players. Like, that's one thing I really want to push, is do a lot of new cards, new and exciting and, and strong cards for experienced players as well, and make these appealing mm-hmm. for everybody. I don't want them just to be focused on just new players. Let's have everybody hopefully buy these and have fun with them, and 
I think we did a pretty good job. I can't wait for those to get released. I'm very, very excited for them. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's really exciting. I think I, I have a friend actually who, who said that, you know, with, with the new introduction of these, this whole set, he's planning on picking up a copy of the core set. He's planning on picking up a copy of his favorite investigator from the packs. And I think that that's one of the hindrances in Arkham Horror, where since I've been playing since, since the core, you know, we have this collection that we don't really think much about. We kind of think more about the cards and deck building and stuff. And we don't actually realize how many cards there are now. And I think that that's something that, that, like you said, intimidates players who I'm introducing to the game because they're like, well, they might not have the attachment that, that you would have if you own the entire collection. Well, this is a perfect jumping off point for those, those people who they can just get the core set and they're like, well, I'm not really certain how to deck build. These are the perfect things to introduce them to, you know, the kind of a preliminary way to build a deck. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm, I'm hyped about that. Jeremy, so yeah, as you mentioned, there's definitely, I mean, we, you know, we've all been doing this for a while and we enjoy deck building, but there are a lot of newer players that do find it intimidating. Is there any kind of like general advice that you would give to people that are starting to play this game and are kind of dipping their toe in it and, and kind of starting to figure out how to make decks? Any kind of like general tips or, or strategies that you'd, you'd suggest? Um, I guess when you're playing a campaign, at least for me, I like to kind of start with the levels of your deck, of course, but also think what my deck ideally will look like once I have, you know, maybe 30 experience. I think a lot of campaigns will eventually use it to about 30 experience, roughly. Sometimes more, sometimes less. So it's always nice to kind of have like an end goal in mind, what, you, what your deck will want to look like once you're getting towards the end of the campaign. Sure. Yeah. That way, as you play the campaign, you can maybe ahead of time write down some cards you want to upgrade into and buy as you go. That way, instead of playing, after you play every single game, you don't have to dig through your entire collection and just try to think... I got five experience, so what should I buy now? I have no idea. Let's dig through all the cards again. It's kind of nice to have a, a game plan ahead of time where I have these key cards I want to buy. This this is maybe the order I want to buy them in. I can also help even with your level zero deck to kind of plan ahead and not maybe mm-hmm. waste experience. Because you don't, ideally, you don't want to buy a level zero card later on in the campaign and have to pay experience for it. You want to right. include it right off the bat while it's free. So knowing what you want to buy ahead of time can help save you experience in that regard and maybe make your deck even more focused because there are a lot of really cool you know higher level cards that are just really fun and powerful and somebody might want to maybe focus your deck around eventually so kind of have an idea of what your deck's going to ideally evolve into can really help maybe newer players as they play the campaign it might be a little intimidating for a very new player to think that far ahead but if you have a little bit of experience of Arkham itself that's maybe one way to play your next campaign and to really try to like a game plan of what your deck in, in the long term wants to evolve into and look like. On the topic of kind of like in, individual specific cards, are there any cards that you think are kind of uh, underrated or, or overlooked by people that you think are, you know, deserve a second look? Especially, I, I know you mentioned you're really into uh, Guardians and Seekers. Are there any like Guardian or Seeker cards that you think are, you know, people should pay a little bit more attention to? Um, I guess that is tough since this being a, a cooperative game, it is... Again, another very different thing about it compared to competitive games, there's no like set metagame. Mm-hmm. There's there's no, like a big tournament. You can just go and see the top decks were what won this big national tournament or world's tournament. Right, right. And <laughs> copy it and then you kinda of see all the metagame evolves and stuff like that. It's very, very different. You know, players are much more free to try experiment and come up with cool, awesome new stuff and a lot of people have very different opinions on cards, which is great. I love seeing that. You know, you got certain, certain people or groups that really value these certain cards very highly, others don't. So it is kind of interesting in itself to play a, a co-op game now that, you know, there's a lot of times there's like a agree-upon very powerful, very weak cards. There's a lot of different opinions. There's some that are clearly, you know, mostly agree upon is very strong or very weak, but there are quite a few that are in the middle ground, which I like. A lot of them are kind of middle ground, and people just depends on... How they're playing too, what's, what scenarios they play, you know, campaigns, different cards will shine, different ones, so. It's difficult to say, but if I had to choose one card, maybe, I don't know, maybe Fool Me Once, that's kind of a card that maybe is not super strong, but in certain campaigns can be very useful, I mean, especially for Guardians, they can't really deal with treacheries very well, they have usually low willpower and stuff, so having an option like that can be, can be really nice, that's, again, a, a card I don't. It's hard to say if it sees a lot of play or not, but I imagine not, not too much, but that's maybe one that, you know, maybe take a second look at, especially during certain campaigns that maybe have lots of ancient evils. It's always a, a card you always want to cancel, so here's, here's a way Guardians can maybe do that. Yeah, Dane took that for a spin recently, I think, didn't she, Dane? 
Yeah, so I took that a Diana deck just because I wanted to cancel all the things. Oh, there you go. I think that that's, that's one interesting, unique thing that Arkham does where you kind of have two different ways that you play a campaign, right? The first way is blind, where you don't know anything. And, uh, you know, you're going to it and maybe you want to bring your best investigators um, with, with like tried and true tactics that you've tried on, you know, multiple different campaigns earlier. Then you've got the the return to that, uh, not necessarily the return to boxes per se, but the returning to, uh, to, to play through again, where you can do a little bit more metagaming and you can kind of have a little more wiggle room to experiment maybe. That's actually more the way that we might play, um, and and that's kind of where I tried the, tried that with a Diana deck, and it was actually pretty fun. Using using that against Ancient Evils feels pretty great. Definitely, <laughs> yeah, especially Diana. It's a good point. There's some investigators that just certain cards will be much better than those investigators, not as much than others. So I love that. Yeah, it just opens up lots of different possibilities, lots of different replayability. It's it's very cool to be able to explore the card pool and constantly come up with you know new ideas and new things you want to try out. One thing we were we kind of have been curious to to ask about this is about about kind of scenarios the sort of like we we call them like push your luck scenarios I'm not sure if they have like an official name but most campaigns have you know like one scenario where the goal is to get as many of some objective as possible like kill as many of the heretics or uh interview as many of the party guests or uh find the cultists um it and it's happened enough that it's it's kind of like an established pattern we really like those do you know anything about um what are like the design goals for that type of scenario? Are they like harder to design or, or what kind of like uh, constraints are you under when you're trying to design one of those? Yeah. I also love those type of scenarios. Those are some of my favorites too. It's They're super fun. Yeah. I love it. They kind of, they kind of open up, I don't know, more possibilities for the players. Like they give them maybe more agency instead of being such a structured scenario where you really want to do this thing or you have to do this one thing to, you know, essentially win or defeat the scenario or move on. It's kind of more open-ended. Like, yeah, you try to do as many as possible, but there's really no right or wrong number. Like, of course, more the better, but there's no hard number where you have to do this or else you kind of lose or have a very bad outcome. It's just kind of one more would be nice, but you don't have to get it. So I think push your luck is a, a great term for that since how far do you want to go? How much, how much do you want to risk it? Like, should we try going for one more or is that maybe a bit too much? We'll buy up more <laughs> than we can chew and... I have to pay the consequences. It's it's always it's always fun to yeah have have that kind of be a part of the scenario. So that's that's something I really enjoy. So maybe maybe we'll see some more more ways like that. Maybe even different ways as well. Instead of just simply you know kill as many guys as many possible. Maybe maybe try doing different ways. That's that's something I'm definitely interested in. Yeah, we were pretty excited when we won the Wages of Sin, and and by by we won, we mean that we got all of the heretics. That was the one and only time that's ever happened, and, and man, was it tight. <laughs> we had to we had to pull some crazy stunts to get it done, but man, it felt like we like you know went platinum or won the Super Bowl or something. It was great. Yeah, that's that's definitely awesome. It's that's a great <laughs> feeling to finally pull off all of them. Oh man, yes, yeah, it's, it's usually not easy, so it is more sweeter when you when you when you finally do it. It does give a lot more replayability too. Is if you only get you know two or three the first times, like we would definitely want to try this again. And, if you can slowly one up yourself every time, there's still you want to play again until you get all of them. There's always that ultimate right, goal that right. you want to achieve, and once you do, it just yeah, it feels great. Right, right, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, let's let's maybe talk just a little bit about the the Innsmouth conspiracy, which um, you and Matt previewed a little bit recently. I know you can't say much about it, um, but so you know, for the first time, there's going to be new tokens added to the Chaos Bag. These bless and curse tokens, um, which is really really exciting. Can you maybe give us some examples of like how this could affect players' gameplay decisions? Like, does this change kind of chaos bag math a lot, or does this change how people are going to be thinking about you know doing tests? Yeah, depending on how many tokens are in there, it can it can really yeah change things and affect things, which I absolutely love. It's it's one thing that for Arkham sometimes you you know the math too well for certain scenarios, and you know yeah yeah it just takes a lot of fun away from it. And like if you're playing standard, you know if you're up by four, you just usually just have the auto fail. That's it. You have to worry about. It. So it's almost a guaranteed success. So it's nice to have something different here that can really mess that up and get players thinking in a whole different regard. So blessed tokens, for the most parts, they're nice, but I think they shine a lot more in hard and expert modes since it can be a lot more difficult to pass tests there. Right. But bless curse tokens affects I think all difficulties pretty well. Like depending on where in the bay, they can really throw off the math and difficulty <laughs> of scenarios. So it's been a blast to have a, a mechanic like this to really 
try to sink our teeth into you than throw out players where if you go up by four, like on the standard scenario, if you got like five or six curse tokens in there, that could very well not be <laughs> enough. You could easily fail still. <laughs> or God forbid you have all ten curse tokens in there. You'll never Oof. never live until you feel that and you chain like five in a row, which I guess in <laughs> some ways is a good thing. Yeah. yeah. But I guess that can be good that it's in you dilute the bag, which sometimes you want that. Just you purposely take a test and hope you draw as many as possible just to, just to flush a bag out of those bad tokens. But even just throwing you know, two or three in there can just make you second guess yourself. Like, sure, I can go up by four. Most likely I'll succeed. But if I get one curse token, I could <laughs> fail. So do I, do I just play this age and just go up by six? You know, if I have the way to do it easily, do I do it? Pitch that one more card to commit to the test? It's I love how it just really shakes things up. And it's very fluid, too, throughout the game. You know, the tokens constantly change. They get added, they get removed, and depending on what cards you're playing. But... Those are some of the funnest games I've had where the base is constantly changing. You're constantly second-guessing yourself. It's like, right, right. is this correct or not? Should I, should I bank on those curse tokens or just ignore them and hope for the best? So I think it's just going to be really cool to see what players think when they get their first experience playing with these new tokens. Yeah, it definitely. It's going to make things a lot more unpredictable, which is going to be really, really exciting. Which to me, yeah. adds to yeah, the excitement and replayability and, and just fun. It's just a different experience for the game. One thing we were curious about, if, if you're able to, to tell us this, so we know that player cards are going to ha- be able to add or remove these tokens, and we've seen some examples of that in, in the previewed cards. Will scenario mechanics ever do this in Innsmouth Conspiracy? Like, will there ever be a scenario card that adds or removes Blesser Curse tokens? Yeah, that's something I don't want to get too specific about, but of course, having new tokens in there, you got to think, you know, what kind of design space do these introduce? And of course, with the Blesser Curse tokens, we did a lot of player cards. But there is other side of doing, you know, some current stuff. So, yeah, there's that's maybe one thing I have a little more experience with so far than my short, you know, design life on Arkham Horror. But that's something to definitely maybe expect. That there might be something to at least, you know, a taste of what that might look like coming ahead in the future. Very cool. Um, one one last question about the Innsmouth conspiracy. So keeping things vague, because you know obviously it's 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 an upcoming product. Um, before Dream Eaters came out, we we talked to Matt and we asked him kind of, uh, you know, what would he recommend we do to kind of get in the right mental headspace to be ready for <laughs> to to play Dream Eaters. Is is there anything that we can do or kind of uh, uh you know introduce into our brains to get into the right brain zone to really enjoy Innsmouth conspiracy when it comes out? <laughs> I'll imagine everybody's read Shadow or Innsmouth, but if you have, in terms of spending a while, you know, definitely go read that. It's, it's personally probably my favorite Lovecraft story. Just I love just the feel of it and, and the setting and just, you know, this mystery and all these weird, kind of goofy-looking, you know, fishy people. And <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, definitely say go ahead and read that and try to get that mindset of, you know, what Innsmouth is and Deep Ones and all the shady dealings that happen in that decrepit town. And yeah, I think that's something we tried to try to show and you know let players explore with in this whole new campaign of Innsmouth. So hopefully it comes through very well and kind of the yeah the blessing curse tokens and all those other tokens as well, the flood tokens and key tokens. Like there's just a lot of new and cool oh, stuff yeah. that kind of hopefully exemplifies what we feel Innsmouth can be about. Awesome. Yeah, that should be really cool. The other thing we wanted to briefly ask you about, so the new, um, we, we, we just got a chance to play the new Reader Die principle scenario that is kind of like a, a special scenario for Daisy and the new parallel version of Daisy. So those are really cool. Can you talk a little bit about just, you know, vaguely, because we know you can't say say too much, but what kind of possibilities does it open up for scenario design when you can have like a particular investigator has to be present for this scenario and it like interacts with them in some way? Does that open up like a, a, a whole lot of different stuff you can do? Yeah, I believe so. I mean, there are a lot of great scenarios out there, but it's also fun to be able to kind of decide what a certain investor that might be particularly fun to play with that scenario. Ideally, you know, thematically, but also mechanically as well, that, you know, give a different take, a different spin on the scenario. And of course, the investigators themselves, like, there's already so many awesome ones in the game. It's kind of cool to have these alternate takes of, you know, maybe what could have been different versions. We always come up with a lot of times different versions for each investigator. So sometimes it's kind of bummer to you only choose one to get printed. So there's been a lot of other cool ideas that kind of, well, this other idea is a lot cooler, so we kind of just got ignore this other idea. And maybe eventually it gets reborn in a different investigator or something, or player card in some way, but sometimes it doesn't. So it's just kind of cool to have the opportunity to take, you know, 
a different version of a victory we had thought about and actually get out there in the, the players' hands and see what they think and especially some investigators that maybe weren't you know, as popular as other ones or maybe a little weak side and maybe try to give them a, a more fun playable version that players really like and be able to have, you know, more fun and new ideas with and again try to shake things up and give more replayability and ultimately just more fun. So it's it is a very cool opportunity to be able to do this. It's it's something I've seen players ask about before, you know, is there any way to maybe do new versions or some of those investigators, but there's so many sure, yeah. there's so many investigators in the in the Arkham universe that I think you want to get to all the ones we haven't done yet before we actually did, <laughs> you know, like reprints new versions of previous ones. But they'll be still many years away, so this is a great opportunity to kind of do that. Where, especially, you know, currently with how the world's going, the pandemic, it's kind of fun to give players new content that otherwise they might not be able to get currently. Right. Yeah. It's another yeah. kind of bonus. It's kind of good time to do this. Where players, you know, they're playing and loving Arkham, but sometimes you know, new scenarios aren't coming out as quickly now with the whole pandemic. So a lot of players are sitting around, just kind of wanting to. Looking to do stuff, you know, stuck inside, all pent up. So, giving some new Arkham Investors is just a little twist here to help those people out there that are kind of having a rough times in the world right now and want something a little new and different that we can easily provide. Just don't have to worry about, you know, producing and shipping on a product or anything. Just put it up on our website and there you go. And you have a, a brand new, you know, investigator and hopefully a, a new twist on an old favorite scenario for you to try out and have some fun with. So, We'll definitely be doing more of these, and I can't wait to see what players think of them. Yeah, it was very, very much appreciated. We we had a great time. Ben was playing Daisy when we did Read or Die, and uh, the in the end, in order to get enough tomes to uh, to complete the scenario, he uh, managed to use uh, the kleptomania weakness to steal a book from uh, from from me, which is amazing. So. <laughs> nice, very nice. Yeah, I, I mean, I know that a lot of a lot of my friends and and I are super jazzed to have new investigators introduced to uh, the Arkham Files universe, like Stella and um, Winnie, and uh, even when when um, Safina came out. Totally blindsided by parallel investigators. I was so <laughs> happy to, to to see something that was, you know, like completely unique in its own right, but also something so familiar from the core set. You know, like it, it was a wonderful surprise for me, and, and I'm sure for a lot of other people as well. Yeah, we love doing that. Kind of throw a curveball every now and then that you just don't see coming. Like, wow, what's this? And- <laughs> <laughs> so hopefully we can do some more curveballs every now and then. It's not easy, but we'll definitely keep trying. Very cool. Yeah, cool. Well, yeah, Jeremy, thanks. Uh, thanks so much for for talking to us. Before you go, uh, you know we're we're podcasters, so our our job is basically to argue with each other and uh, you know just talk about <laughs> talk about dumb stuff all day. Uh, we were hoping that you might be able to settle for us some uh, kind of disagreements that we have or some kind of, you know, controversial issues relating to the game. As one of the designers, you know, you can provide maybe like an authoritative answer to, <laughs> to some of these questions. Is that is that something you'd be willing to do? We'll, we'll run through them really fast. You can just give us like a quick, you know, answer one way or the other. Sure. All right, cool. Let's 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 get this started. All right. First question. So if you're starting a fresh new campaign of the Dunwich Legacy, where do you go first? Do you go to the Clover Club, rescue Dr. Morgan, or do you go to Miskatonic University to save Dr. Rice? Which of these is correct? <laughs> oh, boy. Um, People debate this. They do. Like, <laughs> I hate to go on record since we want... To that's have, the whole point. Right. Both people, both <laughs> options should be equally viable. Which would you do as an investigator? Um, yeah. I guess it depends who I'm playing and who I'm playing with, but maybe try to let theme decide, like... Depending on who I'm playing with, if they would do something first, let's go with that. Instead of sure. having a hard rule that this, you always do this first, try to try to be as thematic as possible. I guess maybe that's my answer. So That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, next question. Which chaos token is scarier, the elder thing or the autofail? Mm, I guess scarier in what way? Like just, but that's up to you. Just straight up looking at it or what it means to the game. <laughs> Which one, when you pull it out of the bag, do you just go, like that? <laughs> to me, auto fail since a lot of times it's the only thing that would wreck me. Like, I go up high enough where I'm not afraid of anything but the darn auto fail. And if that shows up, it's damn it, nothing you do about that. So, <laughs> to me, that's that's nothing scarier than that. Fair enough, fair enough. That that you know, no no one could argue with that. Uh, who takes the top prize as the best ally for seekers? The old school classic Doctor Milan or the new contender Mister Rook? 
Um, is this like the original Milan? Like not um, mutated? Yeah, OG Milan, I think. Up, up to you. Because, uh, yeah, mutated one definitely be a rook, but original Milan, I don't know. He's probably not as good as he used to be. There's, there are so many other ways to... Uh, there's that right. higher education, though. You just, you know, you always get the money. You always True. spend the money, you know. <laughs> that is nice, but I've been an absolute huge fan of Mr. Rook. Like, it's clearly a, a very popular card, and... He has multiple benefits, you know, not just giving a card draw, but also you know, get rid of your weaknesses as while you can, while you can kind of afford to take the hit and have to worry about wasting a draw later on by hitting those weaknesses, so... Hmm. To me, I probably have to go with Rook, I just, I love card draw, and he doesn't, he's maybe the best one in the game that gives you card draws. Plus, his, his name is in quotation marks. He's a, he's a mystery, he's an enigma, that's probably not even his real name. You know? <laughs> true. It is very true. How, how about another question? So uh, you have two friends starting a campaign. One of them is playing Agnes. The other one is playing Carolyn. Who gets dibs on Peter Sylvester? <laughs> um, I suppose that is a tough one. I go with Agnes. Mm. Maybe there aren't as many. I don't play Mystics as much, but maybe there's not quite as many ways to heal and get rid of horror. So maybe it's nice to have Peter there to be able to soak it up for you. Of course, getting a plus, you know, extra stats with him as well can be very useful with Mystics, more willpower, so I'll go with Agnes. That's a good point. Carolyn does have does have alternatives. Uh, how about this? Uh, your town is haunted by ghosts. Who would you turn to for help? The mysterious neighborhood circle of witches or the secret society of rich people? <laughs> witches. Witches? Wow, that, would be, that was a Hands very fast answer. You didn't down. even have to think about no it. No question. Wow. <laughs> Decisive. Well, I guess now we know. Next time we play Circle Undone, now we know what the correct <laughs> uh, uh, Alright, going to uh, Forgotten Age, which supply item is more optimal? The useless pendant that probably doesn't even do anything, or beautiful, powerful, indispensable chalk? <laughs> <laughs> this is not a yeah. very biased question, so... Yeah. I, I've, look, I'm stating these as clearly and as neutrally as I possibly can. Very, yeah. Um, you haven't played Forgotten Age in a while now, so... Since you were that way, <laughs> I'll go with the pendant. Oh, man. Uh, well, I, I disagree, sir. I, I protest strenuously. Uh, next, next question. You are building a deck for everyone's favorite researcher, Mandy Thompson. How many cards is the correct number of cards to put in it? Hmm. Yeah, I guess that is a good one. Um, I don't know. Being a competitive gamer, I just... Always try to stick to the minimum as possible. That's just kind of in my blood, so <laughs> I probably go with that here. Dan threw off his headset and is dancing around the, his room right now. <laughs> I, I feel I feel very vindicated. I will use this. Uh, I will cite this as a reference anytime <laughs> I get into a dumb argument with people. Now it'll be great. There you go. I'm glad you help out. <laughs> um, Lola power rankings: Lola Hayes versus Lola Santiago. You can only choose one. Maybe I should have said there can only be one. Eh, who cares? <laughs> uh, is that even really a, a tough question, though? Like, Hayes versus Santiago? Uh, that's a, that's up to you. The title bout. It's, yeah, Santiago all the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, another another decisive... Santiago sent me. Another, another decisive answer. Uh, a mystery is afoot. Both Joe Diamond and Roland Banks are on the case. Which detective solves it first and earns the title of Top Gumshoe? Hmm. Uh, I love both investigators. Those are those are my guys, my my jam. So that's that is a really tough one. They're both great. Yeah, I they sure are. I really love them both. Um, yeah, I've been having a lot of fun with Joey D more recently, so I'll go with him. He's he's maybe my current fave at the moment. He's the new hotness. Yeah. Oh man. Yes, indeed. He's so good. <laughs> uh, which is scarier, snakes or spiders? Oh, snakes all the way. Wow, another another fast yeah. answer. Yeah, I, yeah. Wow. I, that, I mean, I it's hard to argue with that. You know, snakes—they're very, very scary. Yes. That vengeance. That the vengeance, exactly. <laughs> Don't want to mess with them. Yeah, vengeance versus reach. It's like which one is uh, which? which one is <laughs> <laughs> best uh, best non-human ally for facing off against ancient ones: dogs, cats, or guinea pigs? Who, who put this on here? Oh, I love dogs. I'm told told a dog person, so dogs all the way. You must you must be excited for uh, for Barkham Horror. Oh, definitely. <laughs> I still yes. I still kind of can't believe is a real thing, but I'm also excited to play it. Yeah, it's it's an absolute <laughs> blast. It's so much so much fun just to play a bunch of dogs and see a whole different universe here with you know cats and dogs dominating everything. Humans aren't quite as important. I'm excited for Duke getting the exposure that he deserves. Yes, exactly. 
Every, everybody knows it's Duke and human companion Ashcan. Oh yeah, he's he's amazing. Of course. All right, only only a few of these left. Uh, is it luckier to close your eyes when you draw from the chaos bag, or to hold it above your head so that you can't see into it? <laughs> um, I guess I haven't done B. I've done the first one, so I guess I'll go with the first one since that's the one I've done before. Fair enough. You can only you can only work from the data that you have, yeah. right? Uh, all right, this one is really really tough. Please help us answer this. Are seekers yellow or orange? Hmm. Can I say neither? Nope. <laughs> I mean, I guess, I, I guess you can, but that just means we have to keep asking other people until we eventually find someone at FFG who can tell us. <laughs> can so you put I'll, us I'll... in contact with like the art director or the person that the graphic designer or something? <laughs> we we really need to know this. Um, I'll try. So I'll go with neither, just so you guys will keep wondering forever. Okay. Ever. <laughs> okay. We, I mean, I guess some questions are just completely unanswerable. That's. <laughs> Uh, all right, last last question. Who would win in an old man fight, Harvey Walters or Norman Withers? Ooh. Uh, that, that is a really good one. Um, They're both very old. They are. <laughs> that might have to be a draw. They might just knock both of them out at the same time. They're just even evenly matched. <laughs> That's wow. absolutely, I think, the correct answer. I am pretty sure they would both have narcolepsy in their necks. <laughs> they would both just fall asleep. Yeah, it makes, it makes, <laughs> makes a lot of sense to me. Maybe we'd have to, there'd have to be like a time travel scenario where you'd go back in time to when they were both like 40 or something and then have them fight. But, uh, Maybe we should make a weakness called Poof Your Pants. That could... Oh well. <laughs> no, no! Or that, yeah, or that. Wow. Well, yeah, that's that's amazing. I feel like uh, we've just we've settled so many questions that have bothered us for so long. This is this has been amazing. <laughs> I'm so glad it could help. It's very much appreciated. <laughs> yeah. Jeremy, we, again, we really appreciate you joining us today. We're excited for the future. A lot of incredible Arkham horror is coming our way. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to plug, though, Arkham related or otherwise? Um, no, actually not. There's. I just stay tuned. Hopefully this whole pandemic thing can eventually kind of we move on from it and get back to our normal lives and get that new Arkham product flowing and just have a ton of fun. Absolutely. I, I think the most exciting part about it is that we're just going to have a whole bunch of Arkham horror dumped on our faces. We're going to have the, the new investigators. We're going to have Innsmouth coming. We have Return to the Forgotten Age, Barkham Horror. All this new stuff is, is in store. So we're really excited, and it's been a pleasure having you on the show, Jeremy. Me too, yeah. Thanks for having me. This has been a lot of fun, and I'd love to come back someday. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, listeners, who would you vote for in the title bout, Walters versus Withers? Who will you be choosing to take into Innsmouth? Check us out on Facebook and Reddit, follow us on Instagram, or comment wherever you listen to podcasts, or email us at comments at mur.fm. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.